Hello everyone. Have you noticed how anxiety and worry has become such a common occurrence that we fail to notice its dark side? <laughs> we often treat anxiousness like our phones. We can't live without it, nor do we intend to. It often becomes a badge of honor defining our every move. And it's easy to be worried to be anxious. We look around our world and there's ample reason for one's anxiety. I mean, right? We're living through one of the worst pandemics this world has ever seen. Will I catch the virus? And if I do catch the virus, will it have lasting implications on my health? Will the vaccine be effective? How has the virus affected my family? How has it affected my work, my education? How, how has it affected my walk with God? Am I stronger in my faith or weakened in my faith? We also have a new president. No matter, no matter what side of the coin you prefer, we wonder what our future will be like under this new administration. And while I, and while I don't want to clump everyone into the same mold, most of us have moments of anxiousness in our lives. We can't get rid of the distress, the uneasiness which occurs in our minds, the fear that threatens the very fabric of our faith. We're anxious people. And our anxiety is known by God, is it not? <laughs> our anxiety is known by God. And, and does he like it? No. Now, he understands it, but he doesn't like it. Why? Because our anxiety is in direct competition with one's faith in the Father. The level of one's anxiousness defines the potency of one's faith. So, do I trust my life in the hand of God? Do I trust that he will take care of me in those moments of uncertainty? And why do I continue to worry about that which I have no control over? But we do. We do. We often misplace our faith with fear, with anxiety. I get it. I get it. I do. Our anxiety makes a lot of sense in a fallen world. Anxiety and worry are human experiences for which we all struggle. And all of us at some level ought to be able to sympathize with others who find themselves bogged down in the pit of despair. We can sympathize with others because we have been there. You know, we all want quick answers to the ambiguity of life. We do. But, but let me throw out this principle. Deep struggles of uncertainty, they don't have quick answers. All right, let me repeat that. Deep struggles of uncertainty don't have quick answers. You know, often those things for which we worry are long-lasting things without, without an end in sight. And there are a million, million different outcomes for which our minds have traversed every option multiple times. And yes, yes, we know it could all end tomorrow and all that could go away or it could last for years. Thus the uncertainty of life. And this is where God meets us. He meets us in our struggles. Jesus meets us in our worry and asks us to trust him with our troubled soul. Listen to this verse. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is grace. And our worries helping us move into a deeper understanding of faith. 
If you recall from the lesson from two weeks ago, we spoke about the do nots. Do not do that, but do this. It's very prevalent in Jesus' kingdom sermon. And in this passage we are discussing today, Jesus instructs his followers, do not be anxious. <laughs> and to get his point across, he repeats, do not be anxious three times. Three times, not once, not twice, three times. Three times, do not be anxious. The word anxious is used six times in 10 verses. Okay, so listen to the longest discourse in the Sermon on the Mount regarding any topic. It deals with anxiety, with worry. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So do you think anxiety and worry were a struggle in the days of Jesus? I mean, do you think they worried where their next meal would be coming from? I was reading this the other day, the 4,000, feeding the 4,000, that was 4,000 plus the men, the women and children. They were following Jesus and listening to his every word for three days, three days. They haven't eaten, and Jesus has compassion on them and feeds them. Jesus feeds the 4,000 plus. See, Jesus is grace in our worries, helping us to move to a deeper understanding of faith. Many in the days of Jesus were worried where their next meal would be found. They worried about their clothing. They worried about their taxes. They worried about their health. They worried about the political environment. Does any of this seem familiar? Jerry is one of our guests who shows up at the building every two or three weeks asking for food. The essentials to get his family through the next few weeks. Our food pantry is there to serve him and other guests who arrive asking for help. Do you think Jerry worries about food? Absolutely. There are many in this world who do, who do not have the necessary means for their family, especially during these days. And I wish I had time to enlighten you on how our local food bank assists thousands of clients daily. 
Many clients are those who hold an hourly job but don't have the means to place food on the table for their entire family. You may remember there was a Facebook request a couple of weeks ago by one of our members asking this congregation to help a coworker whose rental apartment flooded. Not with water, but with black water, sewer water. Most everything in the apartment was contaminated and they didn't have any rental insurance. So the needs of this family were vast and there were many worries, many anxious moments. She was basically needing an apartment full of stuff so they could function as a family. Within six hours of the post on Facebook, every request was met by this church. There was not a need that went unmet. Lake Helen was Jesus to one who was worried, helping them move to a deeper understanding of faith. Because of your generosity, it gave our member working with his family an opportunity to share Jesus with their coworker, opening doors for future conversations. I've come to realize that in depression, worry, and anxiety, that Psalms are a strategy for sanity. Psalms offer a picture of reality, and it holds nothing back. Listen, many are the afflictions of the righteous. <laughs> Never has a statement been truer. Many are the afflictions of God's followers. I look at our prayer list in connections, and we're a congregation well over 500 souls on the roll. And I would venture most congregations our size don't have a prayer list like ours. And here's what I know. These requests are probably only a third of the ones we know about. If every prayer request was noted, I think our list would triple. Deep struggles of uncertainty, they don't have quick answers. And many are unwilling to share their struggles. Many do not feel they can be honest about their anxiety or about their worries because of the backlash. Backlash? Wait, 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 time out. What, what do you mean, James? There are those of us who rarely struggle. And if we have struggled with anxiety and worry, it's temporary. So our judgment is often quick and decisive. You just need to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Can I let you in on a secret I've learned over the years? People are not a problem to fix. They are a person made in the image of God to love. And, and I'm thrilled. Many of us can see the solution to, to their struggles. But people are not a problem to fix. They are a person to love. And often our desire is to, f in fixing that individual, is a condemnation of their life. Loving others begins where they are and not where we are. And if you want to give anxiety-ridden people hope, Point them to the Psalms. Listen, listen to the rest of this verse. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. When distressing things happen to us, we feel stressed. When frightening things happen to us, we feel fearful. When things are out of control, we feel anxious. And God meets us in our struggles, delivering us out of them all. All right, all right, listen to another psalm. You have kept count of my tossings, put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? 
Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. (laughs) Brothers and sisters, God knows our struggles. Jesus knows the worries and anxieties of our heart. Our one God understands when we are constantly besieged by problems, by predicaments, and by hardships. While we are in these distressful moments, our Father is for us. He is for you. He's for me. He's for us. But the worries, the anxiety, the fears, the anxiousness often, listen, listen, they become God-forgetful experiences. We can't see God in the midst during our struggles. God's not there. He's absent. And when this happens, how easy is it to paint a picture of a life out of control? This is why we groan. I mean, literally groan. Ah! It's the sound of overwhelming anxiety. And Jesus' admonition to those anxious floods of emotion which savage our soul is to do what? Let's seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. In those moments of groaning, our perspective, our outlook, our weaknesses must point to faith and trust that we have in a sovereign God. The kingdom of God is a place of redemption for our anxious souls. God does not leave us as orphans. He doesn't. We are his children, not later, not when we die, but we are God's children now. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who had the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. Brothers and sisters, we groan in a world plagued with sin. But we hope in that which we do not see. For many of us, we're not patient people, right? I mean, very few of us are patient people. And as impatient people, when we endure stress and anxiety and worry, we want those feelings, those emotions to go away as soon as possible. God, take this away from me. None of us want to cling to our distress any longer than necessary. And for many of you who've been groaning for an extended period of time, I know your patience grows thin. You can continue to utter this question, God, When are you going to act? Anybody? And yet our anxiety-ridden events, they don't move. Nothing changes. 
And the only words we hear out of that scripture we just read are wait. Not just wait, but wait eagerly. Be patient in hope. But brothers and sisters, do not miss the partnership here. Do not miss the partnership. Do not miss that God does not leave us alone. Do not miss the one who helps us in our weaknesses and not only helps us, but goes to bat for us. Yeah, that's right. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of Jesus is with us in our weaknesses. He knows our groaning. He knows our struggles. And the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. He enters into the throne room of God, lays our case before the Father, pleading with him on our behalf. Well, he's not doing a good job in my life. All right, let me remind you, all of us will go through difficulties. All of us will face trials of many kinds. We will all be tested just as our Savior was tested and tempted in the wilderness. And those tests, those trials, which often bring anxiety into our lives, will determine the depth of one's soil Dirt, soil, the depth of our faith our, and trust in Jesus. That, that's the parable of the sower. The different types of soils. It's not a parable about the seed. And it's not really a parable about the sower, because that's Jesus, the word. It's a parable about the depth and condition of one's heart. Listen to Jesus' explanation to his disciples regarding this parable. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away that which has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another sixty, in another thirty. Our anxiety is often a soil problem, a heart problem. We are the soil. How we take care of our soil or not determines the health of our produce. Our Savior throws a seed into our heart. It lands. It either lands on worn paths trampled by others. It lands on rocky soil or it lands in the weeds or in the, of this world. We're not thriving because we're not tending to our gardens. We're not enduring because our faith is being stepped on, scorched, and strangled by the cares and deceitfulness of this world. And remember, remember, the seed has been sown. We know the sower. And no matter the soil of your heart right now, God is for you. While you may find yourself in a mess of uncertainty, God is for you. Our soul can be tilled. Our soil can be developed. Our God desires us to enjoy the pleasures of a filled, yielding 30, 60, or 100-fold. What if, what if we saw ourselves as our Heavenly Father views us? What if we did? We're saints. We are His children. We're seated with Him right now in the heavenly places. 
That's Ephesians chapter 2, verse 6. As his children who sit in his throne room, God is for us. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to endure, to have faith. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But James, James, how? 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 In the midst of my anxiety, what can I do today, right now? I'm at my wit's end. I don't know where to turn. Can you just give me three points for overcoming my anxiety? As you know, it's not that easy. Yeah, I wish I could snap my finger and with three exceptional points, which I've discovered cures everyone's anxiety. Not happening. I'm not that smart, nor do I believe I have all the answers. But I know the one who does. And as one who is never at a loss for words, I'll leave you with some hopeful thoughts. But first, let, let me share the soil of my heart. <clears throat> you know, my anxiousness, my worry, is born out of a need for perfection, to make all things right. It's a blessing, but also a curse. Perfection is anxiousness wrapped in good. From the outside, my need for perfection is often seen as a plus and not a minus. Perfectionists are hard workers, and they desire everything in its proper place, complete, no mistakes. But internally, there's a battle of anxiousness, worry as to others' perception of your work, your job, your, your ministry, or worry about the work of others. And who wants to live with a perfectionist? Who wants to work with a perfectionist? And the phrase... <laughs> The phrase around my house, just let it go. Just let it go. So here's the advice I give myself when it comes to the anxiousness of my heart. Number one, listen to the right voices. Our level of fear, anxiety, and worry are directly attributed to the voices which hold our attention. <laughs> I mean, isn't that true? What drives our attention often drives our anxiety. Our anxiety, our worry, is often focused on things below and not on things above. And it's difficult to put aside that which we believe demands our immediate attention because anxiety screams in your ear, you must deal with me now. Don't believe the lie. This is the voice of Satan distracting us from the Father. The devil will do anything to move us away from spending time with God. The soil, which produced 30, 60, and 100 fold, can be you. It can be all of us. One who hears the word and understands it. What if, what if, what if? During those anxious moments, we took a deep breath in and out, calmed our spirit and prayed through the Psalms? What if during those moments we trained ourselves to open the Bible and concentrate on encouraging and helpful verses which gives us power, Holy Spirit power? Maybe a passage like this. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, 
and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So my first advice to you is listen to the right voices. Here's the second one. Look beyond the here and now. Look beyond the here and now. Anxiety is a cruel master demanding one's focus, one's undivided attention. During worry, we find ourselves in the grip of this cruel master. The more we worry, the greater the pain. Our perspective, our outlook is often skewed. We see dimly. We, we know God is for us, but our sight is often blurred to the point we can't see God through the fog. Listen to the words of Paul. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Perspective. Perspective, outlook, vision, faith, necessary ingredients in this battle against anxiety. Yes, in this tent we groan, but we look beyond the anxiousness and worry to a perspective of eternity. Perspective is a must to endure the anxious moments of our life. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. Our goal is not this life. It's not. Our desire is a home in the eternal heavens. We must keep our eyes on the prize. And here's three. Endure. 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 Don't give up. Don't give in. Hold your ground when uncertainty and doubt hit you like a wave, stand firm. I know I sound like an old man here who's out of touch with today's culture, but our tenacity, our tenacity and our fortitude has been supplanted in our culture by timidity and fear. At the first type sign of discomfort in our lives, in pain, we give up. When faced with adversity, we fold like a cheap napkin. <laughs> Always wanted to use that line, but my, here's you get my drift. As believers, we are called to endure as a sign of faithfulness. Listen to the Hebrew writer. For we have need of endurance, so that when we have done the will of God, we may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere their souls. There are thousands of books in the market on, about dealing with anxiety. Some are good, some are bad. But there are in the scriptures on this subject as well. It would be my hope that you seek them out. Memorize them, internalize God's word. Then they become a defense against the darkness in this moment of need. All right, so here's just a sampling. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Blessed is a man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is the Lord. He is like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when the heat comes, 
for its leaves remain green and it's not anxious in the year of drought for it does not cease to bear fruit. Now here's the last one. Cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Remember, Jesus' direction in this sermon is clear. Do not be anxious. It's the only time, again, the only time where it's repeated three times. Do not be anxious. Do not be anxious. It's something for which our Savior knew we would struggle. Brothers and sisters, if you find yourself right now in the grips of constant anxiety and fear, we're here to pray with you and be a sounding board. We want to listen without condemnation. We want to love you and not try and fix you. We'll leave the fixing up to God. Encouragement and prayer, that's what we can offer. Reach out to one of our shepherds and set a time to meet with one of them. They will be more than happy to walk with you as you seek first the kingdom of God. I love you, Lakoma. May God bless each of you. And may his grace be sufficient for your day of trouble.